Does COVID have you feeling stalled at work? Cornell ILR Professional Education can help you get back on the road to career growth. Visit discover.ilr.cornell.edu to get started. Work is all around us. It defines us. The future of work impacts nearly every person on our planet, and the ILR School at Cornell University is influencing policy and practice around the world. In this episode of Work, exploring the future of work, labor, and employment, Dean Alex Colvin speaks with Eduardo Porter, economics reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. In our podcast, we've been talking a lot about issues around the future of work, how the economy has been changing, the different demographics of the labor force, and how that's all changing what things are like going forward. It seems that there's been a real explosion of concern and discussion around these issues. The archetypal truck driver is going to be replaced by the self-driving truck or even the Uber driver, which is a new kind of job, but maybe that's going to be replaced too by the self-driving car. And now, now we've got Andrew Yang seem to build this pretty successful presidential campaign around this issue and advocating for a universal basic income as a solution. Uh, but at the same time, there's always this question of, is this really going to be different than the past, right? We had the horse and buggy disappear, but then the auto industry replaced it. So we had yeah. new kinds of jobs. Uh, yeah. You've written a little about this industry, about this issue. What's your take these days on it? Are, have we gone too far in our panic about the future of work or, or is this a legitimate concern? I mean, it's hard to say when it's too far. So to be sure, we've gone through technological periods of technological disruption in the workforce for hundreds of years. This fear has been with us for hundreds of years since, you know, uh, you had steam powered looms uh, uh, enter the workforce. And, and to be sure, these technological uh, uh, dislocations have hurt some sets of workers, have replaced them, have taken away their jobs. But so far, the economy has always been able to produce more jobs as, you know, incomes from the technological disruption uh, increase, you know, as, as tech increases productivity and incomes of workers, as you know, this has created demand for new products and services and, and actually making these new products and services has created new jobs. And you've had a kind of a solicitous uh, uh, rise of, of, of wages as well as rising yeah. productivity and a bunch of new jobs. And so, so far, the fears have been unfounded, I think, on average on net. Yeah. But there's always a, well, what if this time is different thing? Right. And there's no like law of nature that says that that can't happen, that we can't have a moment where, you know, this kind of felicitous cycle stops and we get something a little more grim. Yeah. And the evidence out there, if you look at the data, suggests, you know, that maybe this is grimmer, that, the, that the, our reality of the last whatever 40 years or maybe maybe not that long, maybe 20 years, doesn't quite bear out this, yes, we're all moving up, higher yeah. productivity, higher wages. We're in fact seeing pretty a lot of wage stagnation, 
we're seeing that a lot of the the jobs that were dislocated from manufacturing have have there has been a lot of new jobs appear, but they have been in fairly low productivity, low pay service sector jobs. Right. And so, so we're not really seeing this massive kind of like uh, technological revolution that lifts everybody's boat. So, you know, looking yeah. forward, it's not crazy to think, well, you know, this time does look different. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we should be afraid. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes we have too much in our head, this image of the artificial intelligence from the Terminator movies or Data the Android from Star Trek, uh, and that everything's going to disappear. And that, that seems a little more distant. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. But, totally that, yeah. but at the same time, you know, maybe we get um, a better automated sewing machine and all these countries that uh, have huge numbers of workers who are sewing our jeans and making our shoes, you know, maybe we can have the automated robots that can make those just like we have robots in car factories today that have displaced a lot of auto workers, right? So, you know, there could be that kind of uh, big change in particular sectors coming. And then we are going to have to adjust, I think. I mean, you, you raised the point about the service sector, right? That there are jobs there, those kind of personal care jobs. Uh, but right now, they're, they're not great jobs. Right? Yeah. The, I mean, you think of like the nursing home jobs. Is yeah. One always in my head, right? It doesn't seem like we're close to automating those. Uh, but we sure can make those a lot better jobs. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and there's a lot of thoughts in this question, but just to hit at that, that last point you made, yeah, we're going to create a lot of service sector jobs. And specifically, we're going to create a lot of home health, uh, personal care aids. We're going to generate hundreds of thousands of those jobs. So maybe, I mean, if thinking, if you're thinking in terms of what the policy challenge is, one one avenue to explore is how to make those jobs higher productivity, more skilled, better paid, um, um, so that so that you know the service economy can also help lift you know middle class incomes. Yeah. So maybe you know, I've, strikes me one of the more interesting proposals to to really emerge in this cycle isn't just the universal basic income, but things like sectoral bargaining, uh, something like the what's happened with the Fight for 15 campaign, trying to raise wages in the fast food restaurant industry, that uh, there, there is a real strain in some of these uh, industries, uh, the home healthcare, the service sector restaurants, where wages haven't been great, the uh, working conditions have been pretty rough, and it, it seems like we, we don't have a policy focused on those jobs yet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that we need something to increase worker voice and, and, and you know, give workers more leverage at the bargaining table with bosses. That's for sure, regardless of what's happening in the technological sphere, I think we've had an erosion of worker voice for decades now, and that's clearly playing a role in wage stagnation. Then, but then, you know, you have to say, but I, I would say that that's kind of like independent of technological change. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, uh, the other policy solutions that are thrown out there, you know, I'm going to, especially specifically Yang's idea of a universal basic income, and it's not just his, everybody in Silicon Valley right. thinks that's, you know, the next great thing. Um, 
I think that that's worthy of consideration. I am very skeptical of the frame coming out of the tech sector that since there's going to be no jobs in the future, we need some <laughs> massive redistribution uh, scheme of the scale of UBI to actually, you know, move money yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really buy that. I mean, I think we're, we still have lots of jobs and the question is more about the quality and the pay and the productivity of those jobs. Then that, and I, I'm not sure that we should be thinking of a solution for a society where there is no, you know, remunerative uh, paid employment. Uh, yeah. uh, m- maybe UBI is something to be thought of. Okay, let's think of a world where there are lots of kind of crummy jobs. Yeah. Does UBI have a role there? And I'm still skeptical because it requires a ton of money. Um, and, and the U S has never been particularly generous in building vast safety net programs. So if you consider this one is probably bigger than anything that we've ever done, uh, on the scale of social security, I mean, my guess is that running that through the American political system is going to be a losing proposition. Yeah, and Americans always had that great idea of valuing work, right? I don't see outside of Silicon Valley a lot of people saying, I wish I could just sit around in a UBI, right? They're saying, you know, I'd like a job and a good job. You know, uh, the overworked American is still, uh, you know, something that that we tend to be. We tend to not want to take vacations. Uh, You know, interestingly, one of the things you've written about is um, uh, the impact of the aging society. And that's something that's uh, been interesting in the the world of work, that people are actually working longer now. We're seeing more people working into their 60s and 70s, and, and that's changing things uh, at the same time, right? The, yeah. uh, the 65 retirement seems to have uh, faded in many areas. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. I think that's a very interesting way to think about this. I mean, to add to this conversation is how the demography is going to interact with technology, and automation. So, you know, you can make the argument that, hey, we better have lots of robots that take jobs because people are going to be too old to hold jobs. Yeah. You know, and and we're going to need a, a lot more automation in order to keep the economy humming. And I think that's that's a reasonable proposition. Um, I, I mean, what, how much automation and so on, that's, I, I don't know. But I do think that that kind of tempers the fear that, oh, my gosh, automation is going to come right. out and, 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 and wipe out the economy as we know it. Um, I, I, one of, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm skeptical of that argument is, A, what you just pointed out, a, aging. I think it calls for more automation. Yeah. And B, these forecasts of, you know, that we're all going to go the way of Leontief's horse uh, and be turned into glue because robots will have all the jobs that we used to do um, are vastly, I think, exaggerate technology's capabilities and also society's appetite for implementing these technologies. So you mentioned those trucks. Yeah, We've been saying trucks are going to be automated for like 10 years now, and they haven't. And my guess is that Full automation of the trucking fleet, let alone the passenger car fleet, yeah. is way in the future, if ever. And that's not because the tech. I mean, there, there's the technological challenges, but there's also the societal challenge. People are going to be uncomfortable with driving when half the fleet on the street is a robot. Yeah. You know, um, um, what are going to be the legal consequences of when a robot runs somebody over? There, um, will we have to redesign roads to make them more predictable so robots can navigate them eat more easily? 
all these things that are not just about the technological capability, but how society arranges around uh, the, uh, the, this technological capability are, I think, abstracted away by the folks in Silicon Valley. But they're very important. And I think that they're going to really slow down the implementation of a lot of these things, even if these things are ready for the races, which yeah. is, is questionable. Yeah, it's interesting the reaction around the uh, Boeing crisis around the 737 MAX that people occasionally make these comments, oh, planes fly themselves, right? Which which we know isn't really true. Nobody wants to get into a plane without those two trained pilots there. Uh, but now we're seeing with these disasters that uh, sometimes the technology does go wrong yeah. and and the public doesn't have the trust, right? These, yeah. these systems are building up because people aren't going to get on them until they're absolutely sure this technology is not going to not going to cause a disaster. Yeah. And in fact, our tolerance is extremely, it's, it's very different if we're talking about automata or yeah. people. So say if one of Google's cars, you know, plows into a bunch of school children, yeah. that's kind of like, that's going to put back out of, you know, self-driving cars by a couple of decades. We're going to yeah. freak out. And, but if it's yeah. a person who, you know, who's distracted and plows into a bunch of school children, we're going to say, oh gosh, yeah, human error, you know, bad guy. And then we'll move on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think one of the things we sometimes underestimate in kind of our economic models is just the reality. People react in kind of different uh, different ways emotionally to uh, to events, and that that changes things. Uh, well, thanks very much, Eduardo. I really appreciate uh, uh, you taking the time to talk to us, and uh, uh, thanks again. Thanks to Million Alex. This was really interesting. Thank you for listening to work. You can subscribe to our podcast at work.ilr.cornell.edu or on iTunes. Do you have a recommendation for a guest or a topic to be discussed on a future episode? Just click on the link in the show notes of this episode and leave your suggestions. Again, thank you for listening.